This is Four Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast is Wrestling Death and is scheduled for one hour. Maybe more. It has no real time limits making their way into your ears. First, from a place called Garniston, he is the Pyramid. Margaret Eri Fiend coming out. You stick on, stick that big lead, red light bulb on for a fiend. And his partner, Fader Top End of Stevenson. Honky Tonk Man's going to take the bump for you. She's going to bump for you. I'm going to take the bump for you. I'm going to take the bump for you. Happy New Year and welcome to 2020, 2020, as George Benson sang, 2020 Vision. As Blade Runner said, 2020 is when all the, the robots now are cutting about replicants, uh, cutting about end of Blade Runner, uh, the replicant, uh, Rutger Hauer, dies, dies at the end of that, turns out that Harrison Ford, up. turns out that Harrison Ford as a replicant as well. Um, I'll tell you what happens uh, in the, bl- the second Blade Runner film uh, later. Yes, we are still off for Christmas. I am currently two stone heavier. Uh, I'm just full of Toblerone. I'm just like one giant Toblerone with flesh wrapped around it. Uh, it's another best of episode I'm afraid uh, despite the fact we've only done nine episodes so far we've managed to concoct a fantastic best of for you while we're off on our holidays we are fat as fuck this week I'm going to look at some of my favourite bits for the interviews that we've done and you know let's kick off where it all started where the wrestling daft legacy began with the one and only the champion the Chris Jericho <laughs> We what, what, what do you I make of this guy, Grado, by the way? I love him. I only met him one time in person when I was completely loaded. So uh, <laughs> other right. than that, we exchanged text text messages probably 18 times a day yep. in a text group that we're in. Beautiful. Although Grado's very judicious with his uh, texts. He doesn't send too many. But whenever he does, they're always great. Yes, and I, I do have to admit that I did abuse... The power of having your uh, mobile telephone number. <laughs> when you did I, quite the uh, <laughs> drunken uh, uh, request for employment, shall I, we say? I was an uh, I was in an altered state, Chris, and yes. uh, I, I, I I must come clean to the viewers yeah. that I, I made an addition to Chris Jericho to get on AEW. Uh, I sent you it through the night. I woke up the next morning and I was completely embarrassed. Um, however, I hope you were entertained. But obviously it's no work because I'm sitting here picking my in a podcast. <laughs> I did, I did. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I, I didn't send it to anybody. No, that was uh, the rules. still might because it was quite entertaining. Do you still ha- Chris, do you still have the video? Do you still have that I video? think so. Yeah, I think I, I think I probably still have it, yeah. It would be great to get it. For future blackmailing purposes for Grado if he ever uh, fucks around with me. Yeah. <laughs> and that will happen probably. Hey, Chris, you must feel on top Ooh. of the world right now. <clears throat> well, I mean... Um, it's been a great couple of months for sure. A great year, actually, with all the great things that are happening with AEW and with Fozzie and with the Jericho Cruise, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I find for me, I'm constantly moving and, and thinking of new ideas and living in the moment. So I don't really ever step back and just look at the big picture sometimes and go, wow, yeah. aren't I great? Isn't everything great? I, I'm always kind of working on stuff to continue to, to, to do cool things. So yeah, I guess I'm on top of the world, but... Uh, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, uh, giving myself a, 
a kiss of my own wee wee, shall we say? <laughs> no. Well, this is. I I'm think... not sucking my own dick, Grado, is what I meant to say. I'm no, no, sure no. But if I was Chris Jericho, I'd be sucking my own dick. So put it that way. Well, I'm not Lanny Poffo, so I can't do that. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> one of the great wrestling legends right there. So, I, I mean, I know you don't like to say that there's a war. There is, you know, WWE and NXT are on the same time every Wednesday night. But, and I know you, you're saying that AEW needs to focus on themselves. But how do you feel about the WWE when, you know, they, they get that sniff of competition and they try and, and, and bury it? The likes of... Do you know think that WWE needs this competition? Because since AEW, I've got to admit, WWE has got a wee bit more entertaining. I'm enjoying it recently. I'm enjoying it. So do you... Well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think I've... I don't know what no, I'm trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. You know what I'm saying? You had, you had one sip of bubbly and you're loaded. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, my first, it's my first... It's my first... It's my first... Basically, let me take over. Um, I, yeah, I you go for I it, bro. I knew this was going to happen. And I told the guys, like, you, you don't understand. You don't know Vince McMahon like I know Vince McMahon. He's going to retaliate it's just what he does he loves the competition aspect of it he loves this uh he's probably having more fun with wrestling now than he has over the last 10 years because there's this is giving him something to 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 fight for and to fight at you know if you're in a race and i'm running you know around a track and there's no one behind me what difference does it make i might slow down a bit i might stop and take a piss on the side you know i might start walking if there's someone right behind me i'm gonna be running as fast as i can to to win and I think that's what, what happened. We ignited a spark behind Vince and the entire WWE that made them realize you're not the only show in town anymore. You're not the richest company in town anymore. Uh, and in a lot of ways, you're not the cool company anymore. So what do you do to make that better? Well, now we have to go toe-to-toe and fight. Now, to me, when I say we're not at war with WWE, well, I guess we're in competition with them. We're not at war with NXT because, the, and this is going to make people mad, but this is not being an asshole NXT is still the minor league. No matter how you, you, you slice it and how you move it and this and the other thing, those guys are still basically unknown performers. Um, it's not a competition to us. And I knew we would win because we have more star power than, than, than NXT does. I mean, when you look at the, at the end of our first week of TV, who was out there at the end? Chris Jericho. Well, we know him. Uh, Dustin Rose. Well, we know him. John Moxley. Well, we know him. He used to be another name, but we know who that is. Uh, Cody's out there. We saw him before. If you're a longtime wrestling fan, Pac is out there. Well, remember him when he was Neville. Oh, there's uh, Jack Swag- Swagger, but he's got a different name now, Jake Hager. Yeah. But I know who he is. Jim Ross is commentating. I know that guy. Tim uh, Tony Schiavone's commentating. I know that guy. It's like Justin Roberts is the announcer. It's a subtle thing, but we know that guy. There's all people that have done WrestleManias out there the very first night of our TV, and on. And NXT, they have guys that I've never heard of. And this is not cutting them down. They're all great performers. But to a mainstream fan, they don't know who Kyle O'Reilly is or Johnny Gargano or uh, Ciampa yeah. or uh, Velveteen Dream. They just don't. So to me, we're not in competition with NXT. Our competition is Raw, is SmackDown, is Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar and, and all those guys. So that's the way I look at it. I think it was a little bit of a stroke of genius for Vince to put NXT on against us because it took the focus off the main show yeah. in AEW and it put it on the minor league in AEW. So there's no war with that. And you can put anybody you want on against NXT on a Wednesday night. You can put, you know, a Super Bowl game or, or the, the World Cup final or, you know, resurrect the Beatles and do a reunion. It doesn't matter. We can't control that. All we yeah. can control on a Wednesday night is our show and our product and make sure it's the best it can possibly be. So far, we've been doing that very well, and we've been 
winning. But to me, winning is not just beating NXT. It's being number one in certain demos for the whole night. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think the great thing that AEW has is that there's a kind of cool as an undefinable thing. It's difficult to define what cool is and it's difficult to manufacture cool as well. It's difficult to do yeah. that. And I think the beautiful thing about AEW is it does have that mainstream appeal that you just spoke about there, but it also feels like an outsider product. It feels like a cool outsider product, even though it's still this big mainstream show. And that's a real that's a really difficult thing to it straddle. Feels kinda, it feels kind of undergroundy, yeah. even though it's no underground. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Aye. and that's a, well, that, that, and that's that's the reason why we have such a buzz about us and why we've done so well right off the bat is, um, <coughs> excuse me, like I mentioned, we are cool and you can't manufacture it. How do you become cool? You just are. When, you know, when, when we all know Jeff Hardy, Jeff Hardy just has an X factor being cool. Mm. He doesn't try, just is. Either you are or you aren't. And I think, like I said, this rebellious nature of somebody going up against the evil empire. I mean, we're, we're the rebel forces in Star Wars. Uh, just by the fact that we exist has made WWE angry. It's gotten everybody paid a lot more money because WWE signed guys and re-signed them to way more money to not end up in AEW. And that's good, too. So I think the fans have benefited. I think the uh, the guys have benefited. I think the company, WWE, has benefited by having us kind of up their asses. And as a result of just doing this on our own, we are cool. Mm. And we have that in our in our back pocket now to expand upon because when you have the fans' goodwill, you can get away with a lot of stuff. We don't want to insult them too many times, and we're trying not to. There's always things that happen every week that we can do better. But the bottom line is we don't want to insult the fans' intelligence because we know once you do that, you lose your credibility and you lose yeah. your cool factor. Yeah. Uh, we are not going to do that. And I think as a result, that's why we have this kind of rebellious, maverick, uh, perception about us because that's pretty much what we are. We're doing things. We're, we're flying, you know, uh, in uncharted waters here. None of us have ever done this before. I don't know how to start a wrestling company. We're <laughs> doing the best we can, and we literally have no writers. We literally have really nobody. No, there's no writers at all. Nothing. So, so what? How does what is the process? Is it? I know that obviously Tony owns the company, but in terms of creative wise, how? how who books the show? What happens on show day? Is a well, I I know like I book all my own stuff. Really, and that wow. means not by myself. I mean, I'm in there with Tony and and, and Cody and I have. Sat Who's the down champion? Me. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's not me that I didn't book it though. <laughs> One of the greatest wrestlers of all time there, and a total honour to have him on. What a nice guy he was, by the way. What a lovely guy. If I was Chris Jericho and I had all his fame, right? If I had all his fame, if I had his money, if I had his body, if I had his hair, if I had his teeth, there's fucking no chance I'd be talking to me and Grado on a podcast. There's no chance. No chance at all. Don't know what he was thinking. Now, we had another former great one, by the way. Former European. Listen, what do you see? This guy's body, by the way. This guy. This guy's an amazing body, I know. European and tag team champion. The one and only... Al Snow. Before this wee clip starts, just want to say a few things about Al Snow. Al Snow was one of the guys that I really loved during the Attitude Era. I really loved his stuff. I felt Al Snow was a guy, you gave him anything and he could pull it off. Um, and I loved his stuff with Steve Blackman. I loved his comedy bits with Steve Blackman. Uh, yeah, I just think he's I just think he's very, a very good guy. Very good in the wrestling business. 
Al, what have you got to say, Al? Al, just off the back of that, I'd just like to ask you, you know, Al, you're sitting there, you're looking jacked, you're looking stacked. Back in attitude era, you were built like me. You were built like Grado. No, what? no, I don't think I was ever that bad. No, 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 no you, were, you were close to it. What actually, no. what actually made you decide? I mean, what, what happened? Did you just start going to the gym or some shit? <laughs> no, I didn't just start going to the gym, you turd. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Well, I just started training differently, and I started eating better, and and uh, you know, I started training like a, a, a wrestler would, like an old time wrestler, an old time strongman, like back from the eighteen hundreds. Hackenschmidt. Yeah, you go take look at pictures of like George Hackenschmidt and those guys. I mean, they were they were incredible. They were built, and they didn't you know they didn't know what calories were. They didn't know, they didn't know what protein was. They certainly didn't have the the, the gas. You know, maybe that might be something you might want to try one of these days. Well, I tried. I know, I know you. I know you have gas all the time. I'm saying you should get on the gas maybe sometime. I must admit, Al, there is nobody better than yourself to learn from. I learned so much for my time in TNA, and with you being a, a producer. And I'll never forget the day where I wrestled you at the Hydro, and during the day I was shitting my pants. I was dreading it. And uh, you, you made me even more nervous by saying, where's your mom going to be tonight? I said, well, I don't know. She's got tickets. <laughs> well, tell her I want her to be front row, and I want her to slap the shit out of me. I says, I says, oh, please. She's at Weatherspoons. She's steaming. She's wear pals. She's getting drunk. Please do not get her involved in this angle. No, I want you to call her now. Phone her. I want her to be front row. And sure as fate, we've done the angle. You come out. You get in the crowd, you're in the ring, and you say, you're, you're speaking to me, and you go, yeah, Greta, we get it, you got fans, your family here, where's your mom, where's your mom? And you go down in the front row, and you and my mom, my mom slaps the shit out of you, and I swear <laughs> to God, when I watch that back, I'm looking at yeah. myself because I'm biting my lip, trying not to piss myself, because I know how <laughs> steaming my mom is, and my dad's got a drink in him as well, he's trying to get fucking, yeah. he's trying to get his shit in, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, it was brilliant, it was brilliant, and I just want to say thanks for that, because that was a brilliant, brilliant memory that I'll always have, yeah. you know what I'm saying, as my mom's passed on now, and I'll, I'll always yeah. have that on YouTube, it's great when I, I can go back and watch that footage, man, that idea for you to get my mom involved and get the heat man it's just it's special very special uh, she was terrific she was great she was all for it too she ah, was she, ready to she, go she was right up for it man <laughs> fucking she let she laid the shit in Oh, she did. She she potatoed me. She, she, she wasn't fooling around. I think, I think that's <laughs> and one. Your dad was coming over the rail too. I was like, well, I don't know. I might be able to take your dad. I didn't know if I could get your mom, but I could take your dad. <laughs> that's, that's quality, man. I remember you produced a match between me and Spud, and uh, talk about comedy and and, and entertainment. Uh, we, me and Spud basically had a match where. We've done the people's elbow, we've done the stunner, we've done the pedigree, yeah. <laughs> we've done the ankle lock, we've done the, 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 the Shawn Michaels, I'm sorry, I love you, yeah, super yeah. kick, super <laughs> kick. Now, I can remember that day when we were coming up with our structure in this match, you were having an absolute ball. Oh, yeah. The, the Pope loved it on commentary, but at the same time, there was people out there some old school guys that looked at that and went, what the fuck, you know, and they took completely Yeah, but they, they, listen, those same old school guys did... Don't listen to that bullshit, okay? Nothing I hate worse than a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. Nothing I hate worse than that. And those old school guys that sit there and bitch and piss and moan about things like that did just as ridiculous kinds of shit back in the day. There used to be a spot back in it was real popular 
back in the day where you bumped the heel and the baby face walked up and acted like he was a dog pissing on him. You know, but I, that was that stuff's okay. You know what I mean? The, you know, um, but then you do something that they didn't come up with, they weren't a part of, and then they want to criticize it, which of course it's subjective and everybody's going to have their own vision and their own way of doing it. But you did what you did, you and Spud did in a believable fashion. Right. And I would tell people all the time, you can do whatever you want to do once you step through those ropes in that ring, as long as you do it within the context of a competitive situation. Do you ever get heartbroken to think the fact that you will never, ever, ever be able to use Gary Glitter as a theme song anymore? Cause you... Yeah, that's a... That's been a that's been a tough one to take. Has that been a tough I, I one to take? Because you know, it was a shocker. That was a shocker when all that broke through. But, you know what I mean? You know, let's face it. You people over there, you're an island people. You you, you have strange culture and a lot of customs <laughs> that just don't make sense to a lot of other people. But, but, but you know, that was in the Joker movie. That song. Yeah, I know. Did you hear yeah. about it? And I thought about you instantly. I was yeah, like, Fuck. I immediately jumped up out of my seat and started to make a ring entrance. And <laughs> <laughs> <In> the cinema. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love the fact that I'll get slapped. By Grado's Maw. Now, the next one was a wee bit strange. As we caught up with NWA Vice President Dave Lagano, who just happened to be getting a lift for Billy Corgan, for the smashing pumpkins, right? For the crashing turnips at the time of this interview, right? For the exploding parsnips. Uh, so this was weird. This was a weird one. We were talking to him. He's in the motor. Visualize it. Billy Corgan's there with his big baldy head, right? Uh, big Dave Lagana, Dave Lasagna. And this, is, this was pre the Jim Cornette saga. You know, Jim Cornette was doing as Cornette does, being a, a mad old racist bastard. So this is before then. Bear that in mind. Have a listen. I think it's fair to say that we're loving NWA Power here. Have you, been, have you guys been quite uh, surprised by how well it's been received? Because the wrestling audience is a, a very... It's a very critical audience, isn't it? But I think it's been uh, it's been received really well across the board. You must be feeling quite happy. Yes, yeah, Billy and I were actually just talking about it. We just got a, a message on our YouTube comments about a guy said, "Wow, this is the, this is the type of wrestling my father used to sit and watch with me." And you know, he's passed, and you know, he said that there, this would never come back, and here it's back. And I think what's interesting is is the audience we're appealing to are people that have been sort of either run off or disenfranchised. So the, the, a lot of the feedback we're getting is from people that haven't watched in a long time. And, you know, there's a lot of wrestling fans that either check in once a year at WrestleMania or whatever. And, you know, we plan this show to be something that appealed differently than the market than what sort of the, the trend has become still, still appealing. It's still enjoyable to those that, that enjoy the way trends go, but in a completely different world from, how the studio's set up, to the talents we used, and the skill sets of those. So we're, we we were blown away by the first week and, and the reaction. Obviously, as we normalize, we're building a, a new base of fans every week. Just as You just scroll through the NWA Power uh, hashtag on Twitter, you just see, wow, just found this. Every day there's five, six, ten people that are saying that and going through, and it's it's been a unique adventure every week with it. You know, over the years, over the past like four or five years, you would see people sharing a lot of videos of promos and stuff like that, and a lot of young people as well who would share old promos of Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair in that kind of setup, and it just appeared, it just appeared kind of cool as fuck. It all came round again and seemed really cool. Um, so it was definitely interesting that you you noticed that and tapped into that. But there must have been a wee bit of trepidation still about about going back to that old style. It's because it's a very difficult uh, line to walk. That. 
Were you feeling a wee well, bit cautious, nervous? Uh, no, because if, what worked before will always work. Now, I'll use a civilization thing. Civilizations were built on rivers, which meant uh, communication and, and, and transport. And so for us, we knew that talking them into the building worked in the past. And I think nowadays it's how many flips and how many stars you can get. And, and it, while that is, is the currency of the day, promos still work. People still connect. I mean, Grado, you you don't do a shooting star press, but you know how I've to tried. communicate with an audience and, and uh, you know how to connect. Right. And we saw it in TNA. I actually had we, I have a long interview with Eli that I'll probably not use where, you know, when we, we did a storyline with Eli and Grado, and I remember Eli thought we were punishing him, which, you know, anyone's ever spent time with Grado, you can feel like punishment. <laughs> but um, but like like it worked because we went to a personal level of communication and, you know, Grado's job was on the line here. This bad heel had did something nefarious to our good friend Grado. And, you know, the audience reacted and uh, a match with Grado's career on the line, you know, in a ladder match drew the highest quarter yep. of that, of that three month period because people cared and it was all on, on the communication, not how many flips they did. Yep. And I think that's where we, we know it works. And, Again, we were blown away by the reaction, but we believed in the concept because it worked before. We weren't we weren't doing wrestling on the moon. It was simply a concept that had worked before, and we just we made sure that it was to the right type of audience. Right. I must admit, I did make an arse of that loop because you you guys put me over in a ladder match on live TV on Pop It Drew, like the highest rated segment. And then I took off to go back to Scotland today to comedy shows. So basically, you guys put me over. Could have went. You could have done something with me. And I had to travel back to Scotland, which absolutely broke my heart and killed any buzz that I was ever going to get for that ladder match, which yeah. I regret. But, but you know, that's that speaks to your talent. And you're still over in the States based on that one storyline with Eli. It and it really helped you get over. So even when you came back, you know, a little bit later to do this or that. It just, it was, um, you know, it's, it's it once you get over, you're over. And that's, you know, like Nick Aldis is, he's 33 years old and, you know, he's been wrestling for a long time. And it's like, it's funny to see people go, wow, where's this guy been? He's always All been right. there. It just takes the right exposure. And once, once you get over to an audience, they believe in you. And I think that's what we're doing with our show is getting these characters over. Not again, how great a wrestler they are. That comes. And I grew up in, we were just talking about this, we grew up in 1985. I didn't know how good a wrestler Ric Flair was, but I was sure interested in the personality was. And then when I, I didn't worry about his wrestling, I wanted to see him fight Dusty Rhodes. And I think that, well, that works in life. You know, it works in politics, it works in sports. The game is the game. And and yeah, you have to be a professional to be really good at it. But that that's that's standard, being a great personality and selling tickets is what people want i always thought it was really really cool that billy managed to get um was it oh, the, the maryland yeah, yeah. what, what one was it i yeah. can't remember but that was so cool like at the time for that to be on on tna or impact as it was that was cool getting getting to hear manson on our show was was cool that was well and that that's relationships and that's that's just one and and i think that's part of billy's skill set and power is that he has great relationships and i think what's what's great is and we've seen it with dokken is you know people have an emotional attachment to that song and even if you did it it's interesting that the the amount of people that have loved that song and they're like wow i can't believe it's in wrestling it's just it's a little touch of something and you know music is just like like a promo it's communication of what people like and don't like and these these songs have uh resonance 
and it helps it helps paint the thing. I mean, Grado, you know, well, I just you know how your Madonna yep. song. I thought Billy was going to. I thought Billy was going to try and phone Madonna for me. Still working he's, on he's it. Still work, he's, still, he's still working on Madonna to get you those rights for that song. Right. I know well, it's been five years. <laughs> I know you two almost had a shoot fight about it in the ring. <laughs> um, wherever that was, in, in England somewhere. It was Birmingham. That was brilliant. Uh, that was brilliant. Yeah. At the end of the show, we, <laughs> Billy gets his phone out and threatens to, to, to phone Madonna to get the rights <laughs> to the song. And I think he ends up basically telling me to fuck you, yeah, I'll never phone Madonna. He healed on brilliant. you in the ring. He, was, he, he healed me on the ring. And, and I remember going, can I hit you with a move? Can I hit you with a move? And he's going, don't you fucking dare hit me with a move. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, he would, he would, if, even if you would have hit it, he would have known sort of great. David, you're a guy who won't be any stranger to a, a writer's room, right? Uh, when you were working with the WWE, I, I've always, I've always wondered this myself. You know, I've always wondered this myself. I've always thought, what is that environment like? What is that? Just speaking for the writer's perspective, I'm not talking about for the perspective of wrestling. I'm not asking you to trash anybody or give us any stories. I'm yeah. just meaning. For the writer's mind, what is what is that situation like? Every writer's room is different across every genre, and you know, you, you, especially an established. So, so when I was 24, I got very lucky to be on the Friends writers' room, and and there was already sort of established politics and and systems and such yeah. in that world. So you kind of you have to adapt to the systems that are there, and you have to remember a show like that, like Friends, and then WWE. They're, they're money juggernauts. There's a reason that those shows are as successful as they are. It's, it's chemistry. It's leadership. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, horror stories of working on WWE Creative. Well, that machine works. It works. You know, and so you're literally a cog and you have to understand your, your purpose in that machine. And, you know, you know, my relationship with Vince on that was very much very clear. Like when I ran SmackDown and I had people working under me, they would get frustrated that he would say no. But he has the vision of what he wants. And you can disagree with it, but the man's rebuilt his company three different times in three different environments from, you know, the 80s, you know, when he took it from his father in the Attitude Era, and then in this era, you know, to take the company. When I was there, the stock was $9. And to get the yeah. stock up to $100, you know, that is a skill that I don't think anybody else could probably do to understand the market and, and discipline. And so for to be a writer in that thing, my, my job and anyone in that room is to generate ideas for the person who's setting the vision well that's and you know as an audience member we may not agree with his vision but you have to look at the end result of the company that he's built and now for billy and i building our own company we have a very distinct vision and while grado might have this great idea to shave this cat in the ring it may not fit our vision that i mean that is i'll make it work that is the <laughs> that is the interesting thing because <laughs> when you read over the years when you read about the drama of maybe people that have drifted into the writers room in the wwe and drifted back out and they talk about what the environment's like and i think a lot of wrestling fans read that stuff and listen to those stories and it sounds extreme and outrageous to them but it is i mean it's like you say it is really just the way writers rooms work they are intense they're quite cutthroat you know, there's always somebody who's there in charge of the writer's room who's going to say yes or no. It's just a standard writer's room setup. How does it work with you guys right now at NWA? Are you calling all the shots in the writer's room? Uh, well, we don't have a writer's room. <laughs> uh, you know, we uh, we don't even have a room. You know, we have, you know, we live in a What's very up? digital world. Um, and in reality, all we try to do is put our, and, and it's the quote, you know, let talented people be talented and we set the template, you know, of what we want. We communicate with the talents what we hope to achieve. And then they just go out and do it. And, you know, our, our vision of the show is that it just keeps moving at a pace that is you never want to pick up your phone. And it's funny to hear people talk about, oh, the show's a throwback. It's from the 80s. 
go watch one of the studio wrestling shows. It don't move like this. You know, it's, yeah. it is slow. It's plotting. Some of the promos are god awful. But what we took was 30 percent of what really worked on those shows. And then and then tried to create it for an Instagram world where I got a minute. I got 30 seconds. I got 90 seconds. You know, and then if I really intrigue you for the full match, great. We have a 19 minute match to main event. Well, interesting to see how NWA will day in 2020. As it's certainly looking good. It's a good, good show. And it's very it's all interesting. It's a fascinating show. I really like it. Now, one of Grado's favorite wrestlers, uh, Doug Williams. And, you know, a guy who I had a massive amount of respect for it. Go on, listen, let me, let me get talk straight with you here, right? Well, get a chance. Uh, for many, many years, I was trying to get wrestling, British wrestling, back on the telly, making pitches, working with people. Uh, and, you know, and Doug Williams was a guy who was always in the mix, way, way back in the day when we were pitching telly ideas involving wrestling. Doug Williams was the guy. He was the British wrestler who was prominent on the global scene. He was the guy who was carrying the, the weight of the British wrestling game on his shoulders. He was the one carrying the rep on his shoulders. So he was, he was a guy I always admired because he was he was having to run that race. Not by himself, because there was obviously there was other people running about him, but certainly he was the one that kind of uh kind of broke through as the representative, as the ambassador for British wrestling. A legend in the British wrestling scene, and he, he certainly had some some good stories to tell. What a, a great memory I have as well as I've spoke about it on a podcast. But the time that you you and uh, who was it was it was it Stevie Knight you worked uh, Agawa and Mitsuharu Misawa yeah. and Carl Luke man it blew my mind. I know, I know, it's crazy really when you think about it. When you it, think about it, it, it was yeah. crazy. There was, was about 100 fans. Aye, if that, if that. I remember like there was more Japanese press there and people falling about Misawa than there was actual Arsie's own seats. Do you know what? I'll tell you a funny thing about that because uh, Ogawa told me afterwards that Misawa enjoyed that much more more, <laughs> more than they did at the Sky Dome. <laughs> <laughs> So, I think you know it's it's like anything, isn't it? When you have those little matches, there's no pressure. You can just go out there, enjoy yourself. You're not trying to kill each other, just having fun. And I think that's and I, I think also it's very special for them because they so isolated. They didn't really appreciate they're such big stars outside of the country. Right, I mean, yeah, I mean, so I, they're somewhere like Scotland in the middle of nowhere, and there's still a hundred fans. They're they're, they're they're so ecstatic about that, you yeah. know what I mean? So talk, yeah. to us, talk to us about the career you had uh, with TNA. You were there for uh, for quite a number of years. You won, I think, the X Division numerous times. You won a tag title with, um, with Nick Aldis. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. Okay, well, I signed my first contract with them in 2008. Um, and it was primarily just to be used on their first UK tour. Um, and then... They wanted to bring me over, but I still had some Japan commitments. So I had to do my finish up my Japan tours, which finished in early 2009. Um, and then in May 2009, they signed Nick. Um, and they re-signed my contract because I only had a year. And then they started the British Invasion in May 2009. Um, and it kind of went from there, really. The first year, 2009, most of that was in that tag team, winning the TNA tag titles. Aye. Um, you know, that was fun times. I still lived in England at that time, and I used to fly back and forth. Oh, really? Yeah, Aye, that's yeah. that's that, that's what I done. How so? What, so did, did they make you move to America then? Because that's that's yeah, the deal I had. I had, a, I had a year contract '08 to '09, and I had another year to 2010. When I went to resign in 2010, they said I had to move to America. Was that Hogan that told you to move? 
No, no, this is before Hogan. This is this is still Terry Taylor and Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they signed me for two years instead of one if I did that. So with an extension, with an option of an extension for three. So you know that was fine by me. That was okay. But the so I moved in. I want to say September two thousand and ten, and I was X Division champion at the time on my second run, and it kind of all just went downhill after that. Really? really? Yeah. When I moved but... to America, I was X Division champion for another two months. Then I won the TV title for like a month or so, um, and then they gave it to Abyss. And then it's 2011. They just stopped using me. Really? But did, I just when, sat when, did, at home. when did you work? <laughs> when did you work Flair at Wembley? Oh, that was 2012. Right, right, right. Yeah. That must have been something. Was that was it? Was it the main event that night? No, it wasn't the main event. Uh, it was, I don't know, third or fourth. I'll tell you a little story about that though. I had horrible, horrible toothache that tour. Oh. I was heavily reliant on uh, one of the boys giving me painkillers to get through the, get through the matches because it was so bad. It was like one of my wisdom teeth at the back here. Mm. Um, so every uh, I kind of it was kind of in a daze when I wrestled uh, Flair because I was all kind of hyped up on these painkillers. Not hyped up, but I like Aye. you know like they make right. you a little bit drowsy, don't they? A little bit yep. spaced mm. out. Um, so I don't think at the time I really appreciated or felt that excited about it because I was just like oh, the pain you know the numbness in my head but um looking back on it it was pretty special i think is it something that no one else has ever done and what was it like to work him was it did you did you speak much before it was it a matter of let's just nope, call it what, really all we thought all we talked about was the finish really oh man and even that changed because he injured himself and we had to go home early but <laughs> uh, no it's all in the ring he called everything but I say he called everything. It's like a general thing. Like he'd say, come back. So I'd start firing back and had to do all my own stuff. And then he'd cut me off when he wanted. You know what I mean? It's just Aye. like, it's all natural. It's all it's all totally, you know, um, ad lib. Yeah. For want of a better <laughs> phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was different. It was totally different, you know. And he Aye. juiced himself. I didn't know he was doing that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, did he just did he did he do that mid, midway through the match? Yeah. And you didn't you know? You, did, you, did, you didn't tell I me in advance. Know. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I rammed him into the guardrail on the outside, and he took the bump to the floor. And he's rolling around. I slipped back in the ring. He comes up, pouring his guard. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, was there any other kind of highlights of your your time in TNA? Where you you know obviously did you want any big guys where you felt oh this is something or the, again was it just a, a matter of thinking about it after it happened and thinking it was pretty yeah, special? Two, two 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 specific periods I thought were stood out for me. One was I wrestled AJ Styles for the TV title and beat him for that. Right, and um, you know over our careers I probably wrestled AJ twice. Maybe. That's surprising. I thought I'd be really, more than that. Yeah, so really excited to be able to do that on pay-per-view and obviously, you know, going over as well. That was special for me. And the other one was um, they gave me a five-minute TV match with Kurt Angle, which I really wish I'd done something else with. Oh, built for but that was that was great. Oh, you... you know Grado, right? They talk about how wrestlers are good. Like, oh, he's a good wrestler and he's a good wrestler. But from our point of view, until we get in the ring and actually wrestle these guys, we don't know if they're actually that good mm-hmm. or if they're someone else is playing their match or if they, they, you know, they're just good at taking orders or someone else is carrying them. Um, but no, when I wrestled with Angle, even for those five minutes, you could tell he was exceptional. Aye. You know? So many people you know, say that, didn't they? You just know straight away. Aye. So I remember big Drew, work, Drew working him and coming back and going, wow, he is incredible. Yeah. You know, that would have been a great match to see you and Kurt, you know, go for a, you know, a proper no- pay-per-view. Time yeah, match, 15, you know I mean? 20 minutes. That would have been, that, that been fucking 
fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, we've had some big guests on here, right? But I have to say, one of our most popular guests we ever had on, right, was, and it doesn't get it doesn't get bigger in the, in the promotion side, right, uh, in the UK than this. It was ICW owner Mark Dallas, the guy who, the guy who is the man and the company that was the company that led the British explosion, the the British resurgence, uh, and he came on, he's just a good guy, he's a brown guy, he just chatted, he's own our wave, wavelength, you know what I mean, he's just like, he's just a good guy, you know, me, me grade one Mark, we go back a long way, by the way, we go way back, and uh, he's got some great tales to tell. But see that, that I, I, I can remember that clear as day, getting dropped half, Graham McKay dropped his half at the city centre, and Dallas was going, no, I'm going to start this company, man. It's going to be like ECW. We're going to get New Jack involved. I'm going to get it. And I'm going, fair, fair play. And you think, <laughs> actually, did you, did, did, what you're saying fair play, but did you believe it or did you think it was, it was a lot of mm. shit at the time? I thought, well, it's got a fucking... <laughs> got that, uh, struggle to get New Jack in the country, mind you, but... Uh, Here, I have tried to book New Jack. Aye. You cannot get him in the country. No, no, no. no. You can't get Sandman in the country either. Really? Uh, you can't get Sandman uh, in, no. R- Ricky Morton can't get into the country. Try to get him recently to fight the kinky party. And he's See? like, I phoned him and I went, uh, can you, you want to come here and do a show for us, Rockwell Express? And then, I, I was a bad kid. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got a passport. I was like, I'm even questioning that, man. I was just like, they bother me. I'll, bad, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later, man. I'm getting half his phone in case his phone's tapped. Do you know what I mean? I was a bad kid. Oh, because that would have been great to have the Rock and Roll Express at oh, ICW, wasn't it? I was thinking about him and Shad in the stereo uh, Canadian Destroyers, but Aye. it wasn't to be because he was a bad kid, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, whatever the fuck that means. Um, what, when was the point where you thought this is happening? It was, was, was there any show or... So this is when the gold label thing happened. We were in the big hall in Maryhill. And it was about 100 people. And then we moved into the wee hall. And we moved into the wee hall next door called the Reed Hall that's in the same building. We started selling it out. So we sold it out. And then all of a sudden we had to bring more chairs in. And then the chairs went right up to the back wall. We had to take out the tables. It wasn't any masked off anyway. It was kid fight trying to sell his masks to grown-ups. You know what I mean? <laughs> was he doing that <laughs> even back then? <laughs> Mate, my favourite ever thing about him was that he had the buzz on a five-star show. Uh. He'd show up and sell Rey Mysterio masks <laughs> on a show that Rey, Rey Mysterio was on. <laughs> <laughs> He's vaping, he's like, I don't care, mate. <laughs> I made about two grand that night. He loves his masks, doesn't he, man? He's a proper, he's a proper old-school promoter, oh, he's got that old-school oh, promoter mate, sensibility, he's, man. He just, just knows how to do it, man. He's a money machine, man. He's just, uh, he does, does something that, like, he can just smell money. <laughs> that is fucking great, isn't it, Ray Mysterio, on the same show? I know. Didn't even give him a cut. <laughs> Didn't even go, there you go, Ray, mate, there's a cut a ton. <laughs> That's fucking That's brilliant. That is brilliant, man. Right, so tell us about the situation the new because I'm not totally clear on what the relationship is with ICW and WWE and I'm not sure how much you're able to talk about I'm, what the I'm relationship like, like actually talk. is a wee bit of it, it's like a working relationship we've got to now a lot of people, what, what does that mean? it's so weird I'm trying to think of the best way to word it it's just a sort of thing where we kind of keep in contact with each other um, and they like if they're needing talent or whatever they know that we're a great, great place to cultivate talent Mm-hmm. to eventually go to WWE or NXT UK and stuff like that. And that's what it is right now. So people have asked about, are we gone on the network, stuff like that. At this point in time, we are not on the network. Mm-hmm. Will that change? I don't know. It might change in the future. It has been discussed, but that's it. That's it. There's no... Like, people think it's a dead cert that we're going to go Aye. onto the network. Um, but they've been talking about this 
for ages with different companies like Evolve and all these rumours. Do you know what aye. I mean? So it's it's no there yet, but we do. I mean, I meet up with them once or twice a year or something. Uh-huh. We t- t- uh, talk to them on the phone every now and again, and we just stay in touch and try to help each other out a wee bit. Like Jeff Jarrett couldn't do the show in uh, Shug's House Party in July. Right. So I contacted them and they were like, well, we'll send you somebody for NXT. Tell us, he's a list of who, you, who you'd want and we'll tell you who's mm, available. That's good, isn't it? Stuff like that. So it's uh, like wee things like that. Like if we need a horn. We'll so you found them pretty reasonable to deal with and stuff like that? They've been sound. Because what was the deal? Remember uh, Fergal, Finn Balor? Mm-hmm. What was the reason for him coming? That was, was it Foley, Foley. Was it Survivor Series aye, or something like that? Foley was in the year before. We'd book Foley for the year after. But in the meantime, Foley became the GM of Raw, I'm sure it was. Aye. So Regal phoned me and went, uh, look, he's, he's going to be there, but he can send you a video. And um, I think Triple H had suggested that Regal come here mm-hmm. in, in his place. No. But Fergal was injured at the time. Right. So he went, how about they just take Fergal? He went, Fergal's worked there before and stuff. And I think he was coming back here for a holiday anyway. He was going to see his dad or that in, yep. in Ireland. So it was... Easy peasy, they're just like I on you. That year, man, was Rickish, was it Ricochet, Kurt Angle, Dudley Boys, <laughs> mate? What was I playing it, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was flying way too high there, man. That one, I was like, my wage bill was sky high, man. But uh, it worked. It was a plane. <laughs> <laughs> when I looked back to the other night, I was just going, my God, man. I was like, look at that roster that, I, that night. It was, was like, it, the, it was a wee music video that you put up because it was like, I think it was like maybe like three years since it happened. And I remember looking and going, that, that fucking kid was stacked, man. Aye. Aye. Because the Dudleys <laughs> had left Raw and within 24 hours, I had I had got them signed to come to your show. <laughs> so I... I playing phone tag with different people, mate. Can you get me the Dudley's number? Can you get me the Dudley's number? And then like I go it, and within twenty four hours of them being half raw, we had a graphic up saying the Dudley boys were coming to ICW. See, this is the fucking thing, right? This is the this is the thing about being, I suppose, being Mark Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. That separates them from somebody like me, right? Because I had to, I, I got a crown fell out of my mouth, right? And I had to, I went, I'm going to have to fucking phone up the dentist <laughs> to, to get a dentist appointment. And I was, I had to work myself up to phone the fucking dentist. Do you know what I mean? I had to like, <laughs> I oh fuck, I need from. to phone the dentist. And you, see, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do what you're doing, phoning around all these people, talking to the fucking Dudleys on the phone, trying to put that together in 24 hours. Do, do you, does Mark Dallas get intimidated? I, I don't anymore. I did at first. But Bubba is like built like a, he doesn't even look human, man, when you meet him in person. Like people like that. <laughs> I like see at first when we go big stars in like Kevin Nash or something like that when he came Aye. in that was probably the last time where I went whoa where's Kevin Nash and I went right you're doing this this tonight he went eh, no I'm not uh, <laughs> did he say no I'm not I had a horrible flight because the guy that booked him right before gave him some shit seat in a flight for, for Ireland right. and he was raging and he went no I'm not and I went are you fucking on mate and then in my head I went <laughs> me a bag of giraffes he's going to murder me he looked at me but I think he, I kind of gained his respect aye, at that aye, point aye, aye. he went alright tell me what I'm doing and aye, I was, well, that was probably him finding out like what kind of fucking guy he was dealing with there you know what I mean listen to this this is a scarier one right I forgot all about this one I was backstage and I went look mate hey, hardcore Holly you're losing to this guy and he cricked his neck and looked at me pure raging and I went listen mate you're not announced for a show I've got your money in my pocket you either do it or you're not getting paid and then Drew ran in and went, whoa, 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 I'll explain to you, uh, Holly, what's <laughs> going to happen here and all that. And I was like, Drew, did I nearly get murdered after alcohol? And he went, I think you were pretty close, mate, aye. 
<laughs> like, I need to go and get some air. No, he was lovely. Let's see if they've done the match. Aye. It was pure sound. But I think because it's But like, you hear he's a fucking it, tough guy, didn't he's you? He's terrifying, what mate. Was, terrifying. What, what was that? He didn't expect the pop he was going to get because he had probably, he'd been in the UK and done shows here and there, family shows, all right. Aye, aye, aye. And he came to this show and his music uh, blared and he walked out and you just see him with this big, massive cheese. I, I, I defy you to find any other footage of Hardcore Holly smiling and he's he like, comes out cheesered, does the Randy Orton pose and all that. He's actually He's writing about it, man, didn't he? Fucking. And he, uh, he fucking sparked up Renfrew and all, didn't he, with the chops, didn't he? Oh, mate, that was, uh, what a fight that was. And pl- see, because we hadn't announced him, it was like, Renfrew says, I'm the most hardcore motherfucker on the planet. And then on the screen, it went boom and said, hardcore Holly and the whole place went, Magic. Magic. no way. Magic. I love stuff like that. That is, that is amazing. It's, especially when you get, let's see, like, Attitude Era guys that come into this environment, ICW, that's something cool about it. There was it, one that was the night before we'd done the Hydro one time, and it was uh, it was an eight-man tag, so everybody's doing rounds. A ten-man tag, it was all the big matches. But I was out of ringside, I'm shouting, we need help, we need help. And Rob Van Damme's music hits. And he, <laughs> they knew he was on the next night, but he didn't know he was there that night. Aye, aye, aye. And honestly, you could feel the grunge shaking like in the, in the garage. The people just losing, the people throwing pints in there. That, like, what's, the, what's the biggest pop you've heard at ICW? What do you think is the biggest one? Him winning the, him winning the title. Oh, fuck. Okay. At SEC. That was a fucking great night, man. Aye. I, I love that. I just remember about that match, Drew saying, we're going to get you the Hurricane Run. And I went, you know what? Fuck this. This match is going to be shite because I can't fucking hurricane on the cunt. Because I slid into count of three, I don't know if that makes it look bigger in my head because I was actually in the ring. You were, when you the were right arm. there in the middle. But it was just. It, it was like uh, Scotland had won the World Cup or something. Like aye, everybody aye. was all hugging their pals and aye. people were greeting in the crowd. And all this. Mick Foley, the next day, he was doing a hang at the stand and he asked me to come down a day a bit at the end when I was pretending I was Vince McMahon and he was like doing a wee story. And uh, before he'd done it, we were talking backstage and he went, it reminded me of when uh, Dusty Rhodes won the NWA title. Beautiful. Oh, I didn't always say that, that's cool. I, 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 I no, no, that's oh, class, you man. Put that in your pocket, you can keep oh, that one. Thanks, mate. mate. <laughs> 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 right, so there we go. Hopefully we'll bring you some more brilliant interviews in 2020. And myself and Grado, who's no here just now. And you know Grado? What? He'll be back in the studio next week with merrier chat, mere wrestling daft. So until next week, up the road, or as Grado would say, it's yourself, good, it's good tidy, he would say, wouldn't he? My call's a mess, I feel sick. I feel sick, he would say, of course, sorry, I forgot that one. Have a, hope you had a wonderful new year. This is 4Network.